No e a Māori mai e Paise Pacific Waves e RNZ Pacific ngō le Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first... That devastates into government. The key thing with this case, he had four charges against him. Tonga's Deputy Prime Minister loses a seat after bribery conviction. Members of the public are happy with the fact that we now have seven females that will be sitting in Parliament. Samoa's court ruling for more women MPs is welcomed in Samoa. When their parents uh, had COVID or had lost their jobs because of it, we're going out and working. And concerns are raised for Pacifica students dropping out to work and support their families. Tonga's Deputy Prime Minister, Poasite, has become the third cabinet minister to lose his parliamentary seat following a Supreme Court ruling on Friday in Nukualofa. Poasite has been found guilty of bribery during the campaign for Tonga's general election last November. Don Wiseman spoke with RNZ Pacific correspondent Kalafi Moala about the impact of the latest bribery case. That devastates into this government. The key thing with this case, he had four charges against him. Three was for bribery and the other one was for excessive spending. We have a ceiling of 20,000 uh, paanga uh, for spending towards uh, the campaign. And so the judge acquitted him on that charge, but he was guilty on the three charges uh, of bribery. Presumably, he, like the others, is going to appeal. Uh, yes, there is that avenue. It's open for them. But the procedure here is that he, he will lose his seat anyway. And there is a possibility that there might be even by election or, or the dissolving of parliament, a temporary government appointed, even before the appeal is done. Just explain that to me. So there may be a, a temporary government put in. This is because the cabinet and, and the government's been decimated. It's now a minority government, I suppose. Yes, not only a minority government, but there's a possibility or a probability, actually, that the parliament won't have a quorum, not only for those that lose their seat, but there are one or two that are are sick and are away from parliament. So they may not have a quorum at all. And uh, we are in in a a situation where the parliament needs to meet to approve the budget for this year before the end of June. And so the possibility is that it could be dissolved could be setting up a temporary government to, to get things going uh, even before any appeals uh, are made. But at the moment, one thing is very sure, those guys, are, they've lost their seat. They can appeal later, but they've lost their seat. And this is probably the last situation that a country like Tonga needed, the government imploding in this way or the, the parliament imploding. In the short term, uh, Don, yes. In the long term, it is a good thing because it is about time that uh, something be done to the continuous abuse uh, of the law and people getting away with things. And so this incident of, uh, let's just say, a mass prosecution for bribery, it needed to be done and this will put a stop into these kind of things, not only in terms of the election, but these kind of things happening in other sectors uh, in our country. So yes, for the short term, this is uh, devastating, but really in the, in, the, in the immediate and long term, it's a good thing for the country. Yet we have had a number of people who have complained and said, well, this gift-giving, treating, is a Tongan tradition, and these politicians have been following tradition and they shouldn't be penalised for it. Yes, basically that's an excuse, and it's something we have heard 
time and again over the past several decades, breaking the law and doing things in this way like bribery being excused, tongue and tradition, tongue and customs being stated as an excuse. Uh, it, it is not. Uh, tongue and tradition does not advocate for bribery. And so it needed to be brought into the court and it needed to be decided based on law rather than based on culture. And, and this, this is fantastic, really, for the country. These petitions were all brought by members of the Patoa Party, the party that had been set up by the late Akalisi Pohiva and the party that had dominated Tongan politics fairly recently and then got shut out in the last election. Are they going to do any better in the, uh, the number of by-elections likely to come up here? does not necessarily mean that they are going to, to win in a by-election. By uh, historical effect on, on cases like this, uh, some people are kind of offended that it has come to the courts, and so normally uh, they would vote against the petitioners. You know, they, they, so it, it has happened before. And, and yet it, it's a very interesting uh, situation for Patoa, for this political party. Because what it is happening, and I've interviewed quite a few recently, what is happening, they are feeling that they're doing this not for Patoa necessarily, uh, but that they're doing it for justice, to restore the rule of law, something that their late founder, Adelipo Hero, was very adamant about. The other interesting thing, too, is the two leaders of the Patoa movement, Temisi Sika from Tongatapu 2, Xiao Sipohiva from Tongatapu 1, it's interesting that those are the constituents where they lost those cases that are that, that were petitioned by the two leaders of the of the movement. So the, the trend, as I've seen it here in Tonga recently with these victories, is not so much a victory for Patoa, but a victory for the rule of law. And it's incidental that Patoa is an instrument in this, and I'm sure this is going to be an encouragement for their party, and it's going to be a good thing for their party. But overall for the country, it is really a victory for the rule of law. It needs to be brought in. There's been a largely positive reaction from the Samoan public to a court ruling this week that will see the number of women MPs in the country's parliament increase to seven. The Supreme Court on Wednesday ordered the Speaker, Papali Leo Tayo Masipau, to swear in three new women MPs forthwith. The trio included two new members for the Human Rights Protection Party and one new member for the ruling Fast Party. Joining me is our Samoa correspondent, Joeta Fiangaimali. Talofa Joeta, tell us more about the reactions to the ruling this week. So, you know, on the ground level, members of the public are happy um, with the outcome, with the fact that we now have seven female members of parliament that will be sitting in parliament that will play a role um, in the daily developments of the country and whatnot. So, I don't. I have not received any negative reaction. Just the fact that people are happy, you know, with uh, more women affording the opportunity for women. And we've also had some reactions from the political uh, parties. If you can explain to us what both sides are saying about the matter. So fast is uh, content and um, satisfied with the court ruling, um, given the fact that there's two female MPs from the Human Rights Protection Party, and one female, which is Tomasa Noraleosa, from FAS. She was shocked herself when the decision came that she would be the third female to be sworn in as per orders of the court. 
But for HRPP, what they're really happy was the fact that uh, women, the increasing number of women in parliament, sorry, which is something they've been fighting for, you know, this 10% constitutional mandate for women was something that HRPP created. And so it's a good thing for them. But at the same time, they're a bit questioning. They're questioning a bit about why Tomasa has been um, selected. But the court was clear that because Leota Simalevai resigned from her post when she won the election, so they had no choice. That's what the court stated in their decision. They had to have Tomasa Nora Leota to be the third female MP that needs to be sworn in uh, forthwith. And and so so what what happens now? What, what once this ruling this ruling has been made? When are we likely to see uh, these uh, women sworn in? So Parliament will be in session next week, Tuesday, but we won't know if the Speaker will proceed with the swearing in at that time. The ruling says forthwith, so you know immediately. But the Speaker will make will make the decision on that, and he hasn't uh, made a public announcement on when the swearing-in will take place and any details of the swearing-in. But there's going to be a session next week, Tuesday, to discuss the Labour's Act that's pending in Parliament right now that's in committee. And so most likely it will be next week, Tuesday. But we won't know for sure because it's up to the Speaker. New research has found that some Pacific students in New Zealand are having to choose between studying or working to provide for their families. New Zealand's education ministry, teachers and school principals are all concerned about what the findings of the Education Review Office study means for Pacific students' progress and achievement rates in the long term. Elisha Foon has the story. Because of the pandemic, many Pacific students have had to prioritise working over schooling to help their families pay the bills. That's according to new research from the Education Review Office, which shows a concerning trend of declining attendance from high school students following COVID-19 impacts such as school closures and self-isolation protocols. The office's Pacific director, Tolia Lea Usomai Violet Tuonga Stevenson, says it's a challenging time for students what a number of our secondary school students were having to do when their parents were um, had COVID or had lost their jobs because of it, were going out and working. So some of them have, have been doing that part-time and some have actually stayed out working. So that again um, has kind of lifted the attendance issue. The rising cost of living due to inflation is also a concern. Carlston Girls College Principal Sarah Stenson is worried about high schoolers dropping out early to settle for low-paying jobs. She says Carlston Girls has over 60% of Pacifica pupils and attendance is decreasing. It's now sitting at around 70%. We have lost a number of Year 12 and Year 13 students who have got jobs to support their families. That is actually my biggest concern because they're going into minimum wage jobs and um, they haven't got the qualifications to be able to move into higher level positions within the organisations that they've joined. So how do we get them to that point is, is really our big dilemma. Manurewa High School Principal Pete Jones says last term was perhaps the worst, with attendance as low as 30%. Lack of access to digital devices and internet connection is another barrier for students. 
He says NZQA must provide more support for Māori and Pacific students. So in the NCA space, I'd like to see the learning recognition credits back. So they're there as a safety net. The idea of learning recognition credits is they only kick in if the students need them, but they give them that confidence and support uh, that they're going to be able to, to get through the year and reach their qualifications. Because if they feel like it's too hard and the disruptions have been too great, then it's really hard to, um, to build that confidence back and to get them back fully engaged and they're more likely to go into employment. Pete Jones says achievement and attendance rates go hand in hand. NCA exam results are collated following end-of-year exams and the data from the last two years shows Pacific students are being outperformed by the European, Pakeha and Asian peers. Level 1 and 2 NCA attainment by Pacific Year 11 and 12 students decreased by at least 5-6% to 6%, compared to 3% for Māori and 2% for Pakeha students. But we need some more support um, and we've had devices from the ministry but everything's been reactive and everything's you know come with a delay and then there's never been enough resource in the space having access to a device and internet i would argue is a basic right now not just for students but also for whanau otherwise you are seriously disadvantaged that equity gap just continues to grow why for a country size of New Zealand, we can't have a national scheme which get devices into the hands of students and whānau in low socioeconomic areas, I do not know. The Ministry of Education is being urged to do more for Pacific students, one week before the nation's budget announcement. Papua New Guineans were due to launch into the election period from this weekend, counting down to the polling in the middle of July. But the issuing of writs was delayed on Thursday after the death of Deputy Prime Minister Sam Basil in a car accident on Wednesday night. The delay is to allow for a state funeral and for Mr Basil's party to reorganise itself. Michael Carbuni is a political scientist with the University of PNG and he has been keeping us informed about developments leading up to the poll. But in a conversation with Don Wiseman, he began by talking about Sam Basil and his legacy. Sam Basil is a very important figure in PNG politics in the last three or four terms. Yeah, he's, he's been there for a long time, but he, he also held senior portfolios. And the last one was the deputy prime minister's position. And this election, there was... He was actually planning of becoming the prime minister. He formed a new political party and took several of the members of parliament from uh, different political parties. He also endorsed these candidates and he was looking forward to nominate himself when the reach opened. So, you know, it's a big loss for, for Papua New Guinea uh, with someone of his experience uh, and, and also he's been a dominant player in, in PNG politics as well. He's still pretty young. He is, he is. He, when, when you talk about the new brand of pol, uh, politics in PNG, the likes of Brian Kramer, Gary Jufa, Alan Baird, uh, it actually started with Sam Basil. The Sam Basil before 2017, when he eventually moved over to join Peter only was very vibrant. And uh, later on, you had... Gary Jufa, Brian Kramer, and Alan Baird. But before them, it was Sam Basil. Uh, nominations have 
opened now, there are normally several thousand people that enroll mm. to, to challenge in this election, and most of them disappear without a trace, don't they? Fairly, fairly quickly in the election period. Are you expecting even bigger numbers this time round, or what? Well, the estimate is around 4,000. I think it was reported a, a week ago. But we'll, we'll know the real numbers by the end of next week, uh, the total number, but it might be between three and 4,000. Last time you and I spoke, we were talking about the possibility of reserved seats for women and the likelihood that these seven new seats were going to be established, that they've gone ahead and they've done that. But is it a mess? Have they made a mess of that? These districts that have sort of been pulled from nowhere, what impact will that have? Yeah, I mean, already issue of rich was delayed by two weeks, and that's because of the creation of the seven new uh, new districts, seven new seats. The ballot papers already printed before the government or the parliament created uh, seven new seats. So they had to destroy the ballot papers and then reprint them again. And that's why it was said. So, you know, the impact already started then. There are a few other impacts. There will be, you know, extra uh, responsibility on, on the electoral commission's part to deal with uh, seven new districts. We really don't know how these voters will behave in the seven new districts because it's just one month before the election, less than one month. And there are you know, a few observations that take place, a lot of confusion between districts that for years voters have been voting under a certain district or now that it's been split into two districts. So, yeah, there are a lot of uncertainties. And one of the points that our opposition has raised was, you know, these districts were not not budgeted for. So by mid-2022, we'll have seven new MPs coming in. And, and for seven new districts that were not budgeted for in the last budget, end of last year. So government will have to find money from somewhere. And that will disrupt a lot of priorities that they have been budgeted for. So there's a lot of things. And, and the opposition started a court case. That's what was reported. We don't know how that will work out because they are arguing that districts were created based on faulty data. And they, they have a point because the census that was conducted in 2011, the National Statistics Office and the government both acknowledged that it was not accurate. Uh, but then the parliament relied on their data to create the seven new uh, districts. So it's interesting how the court will rule on that. If the court rules that you need a accurate or a good estimate of data, uh, to be able to calculate which district qualifies to be split into two, uh, then it will be a big setback because you already have candidates contesting if the court rules, you know, the creation of those those seats as unconstitutional or illegal and rules it invalid. There is specific waves a e for mus maulalum. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us.